What's up, cool cats and cuties? This is the Promenade Merchants Podcast, a Star Trek podcast out on the frontier. So sit down and grab a rock to Gino as David Majors and Heather Kirby talk all things Star Trek. Old, new, and what's to come. The Promenade Merchants are open for business. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Promenade Merchants Podcast. We're here on the Promenade on DS9. So sit down, relax, have a rack to Gino, say hey to one of the Dabo girls, tell them I said hi, and enjoy the show. I'm David Majors, my co-host, Heather Kirby. What's up, Heather? What's up, David? I am so excited to sit down and chat with you today because we have so many new exciting things to talk about. I am overflowing. I am fired up. I'm ready to go. There is there is a lot of Star Trek going on right now, Heather. Like there there is an abundance of Star Trek right now that I do not think we have seen in literally 25 years. And <laughs> it's amazing. And yeah, let's just jump right in. Uh, for new listeners of the show, uh, we do have a little bit of a format. Uh, old business, new business, and upcoming business. And we're going to start with old business. Uh, pretty much, we like to say that's pretty much everything up to and including the J.J. Abrams' Kelvin movies in the old business. And Heather, this was your idea, so I'm going to let you... Take the helm on this one. You have the con, Heather. Okay, so yeah, this was my idea. Uh, we're <laughs> and and this is really funny because I don't consider myself a shipper, but we're going shipping, people. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm the last person you'd call a shipper, but let's do it. <laughs> I don't consider myself a shipper, but I wanted to take a look at some of my favorite relationships and friendships in the Star Trek universe. And when I started thinking about this, because like I I, if anyone who follows me on Twitter knows at NerdyGale33, uh, I love so much more than Star Trek. I love so many different sci-fi shows. And I started thinking about this. And when I think about some of my favorite relationships, none of them are in oh, Star the, Trek. The shipper, the shipper police are already on their way. None of them are in Star Trek. There are some amazing relationships in the sci-fi universe and some of like the great all-time love stories when we look at Babylon 5 or Battlestar Galactica. And yes, I'm talking about Sheridan and Delenn and Rosalind and Adama. But when you look at Star Trek, I honestly don't think that there's a lot of relationships that could compare to that. Now, when I'm thinking about my favorite relationships just in Star Trek, I came up with a couple different ones that fall into different categories. There's the one that everybody loves. There's the one that probably is kind of 50-50. You either love it or you hate it. There's really no in-between. And then there's my favorite friendship, which I wanted to cover in this too, because Star Trek has a lot of amazing friendships. Not necessarily relationships, I didn't go that far, because like I said, I'm not calling myself a shipper here. I'm not turning friendships into relationships. I'm just talking amazing friendships. So, to start off, 
the one relationship that everyone loves and appreciates and that I particularly love and appreciate. Miles is- and Keiko O'Brien. <laughs> You know, that's the reason why I came up with this topic, but that was not the one I was going to mention right here. <laughs> because we talked about Miles and Keiko on our last show, and I know so many people hate them, but Miles and Keiko are amazing. <laughs> but that wasn't what I was going with. So the one relationship that I really love that pretty much is universally loved throughout the Star Trek universe is Will Riker and Deanna Troy. Yes, yes, indeed. Uh, Also, I think they're the longest lasting relationship in the Star Trek universe, aren't they? They were off and on a little bit through TNG, but they ended up back together and eventually getting married and uh, all the way up to and through Star Trek Picard, they're still together. Yeah, I, I mean, they're definitely one of the most long running relationships in like the entire universe, the entire Star Trek universe, at least. Um, and, and that's what I really love about them, because from the very first episode of TNG, you know, these two characters have a connection. And it's more than just knowing one another. I mean, she calls him Imzadi, uh, which is the beta Z word for beloved, in the very first episode. So you know that there's a romantic connection there when you first meet both of them together. And so that connection is always present throughout TNG. I'm not sure if they ever actually hooked up in the span of the seven years of TNG seasons. They don't actually really get together until the TNG movies, but they're still present. They it's still very obvious in like their life-threatening situations when one is in sick bay or the other one is in sick bay that they care about each other. And that's what makes the relationship so great because you you always see that the love and respect that they have for each other is there even if they're not together. I think that going back to what I said about Star Trek Picard, uh, the fact that Will Riker and Deanna Troy are still together years after the series and the movies, uh, it shows something in sci-fi, not just Star Trek, uh, but in sci-fi in general that you don't see a lot of, and especially when it's sci-fi that's uh, space-centric. And that is a long, healthy marriage. You do not see that very often in a lot of sci-fi because there's always some kind of adventure or going out into space and the far reaches of the galaxy. Or there's uh, a couple that is in some kind of peril uh, where one of them may not survive or may not make it and, and what have you. But through everything... Will Riker and Deanna Troy have stayed together. They've built a family. They've built a home. And they still clearly care about each other very, very much. And that's literally everything you can ask for. Uh, of course, they they suffered a terrible tragedy uh, losing a kid. But they managed to persevere and get through it and raise their daughter. And that is just the most 
genuine and real and wonderful thing you can ask for. So, yeah, 100% on Will Riker and Deanna Troy. That one, uh, in my opinion, is a bit of a layup. That, that, that's an, uh, that's a pretty clear one. Uh, I, I'm gonna say my first favorite relationship, uh, is one that uh, might be a bit of a theme with mine. Uh, I love odd couples. And I think this is probably the oddest of odd couples. And it was from DS9. And I'm talking about everybody's favorite Ferengi, Quark, and (laughs) his on-again, off-again fling, then wife, and then ex-wife, the Lady Grilka. (laughs) Now, talk about opposites attracting. Quark? Ferengi, Grilka, Klingon. And, of course, DS9, uh, being the Star Trek series that always uh, respected continuity and, and character development and depth over time, they went back to this. And despite their obvious cultural differences, uh, they clearly liked each other very much and they had a really good time with one another, despite everything. And with the episodes with Quark and Grilka, I just found myself utterly tickled by the two of them. I just found them so charming. Uh, Quark being Quark and Grilka being this aristocratic Klingon woman who had guards, honor guards following her everywhere, who just absolutely hated Quark. Uh, simply for even daring to have the hand of the Lady Grilka. Uh, it, it was just, it was great, fun, entertaining television. I, I don't know what I expected, but I did not expect you to say Quark and Grilka, but I love it. Um, the two of them are definitely an odd couple, but there's something about it that just kind of, makes sense too because Grilka's kind of the, the the type of woman who she's rebelling against Klingon society she wants to run her own house and do her own thing and it makes sense that she would end up <laughs> with someone like Quark who as much as he doesn't want to rebel against Ferengi society. I think he ends up ultimately doing so a lot of times, even though he wants to be a a good Ferengi and and follow the, the rules of acquisition and everything. And and he believes in all that, but there's a part of him that, that that's just kind of the rebel too. So I, it, they're a really odd couple, but it makes sense the more you think about it. And it makes it a lot of fun. And hey, one, opposites attract, and romance between species and between races is okay. And remember, everybody, love is love, especially in Star Trek. Love is love. I think that's going to be the theme of our our, uh, episode today. Love is love. And speaking of love... My next relationship that I wanted to mention is something that people either love or hate it. And we're also headed to DS9 for this one. Um, I love it. I love the idea of Odo and Kira. Yay! Yay! I loved that one, too. 
Uh, of course, Kira Norris is my girl. So anytime I, she's I, happy, I just think it makes me happy. Poor Odo has. <laughs> yeah. I think poor Odo deserves a relationship and he's been so alone uh his entire life and and he deserves to find love and he really found it in Kira which was someone that he grew to love and, and respect and uh just really admire and the fact that, that they eventually got to the point where where Kira had feelings for him as well I I don't know. It, it, the two of them warm my heart a bit there. I, I just, I, I love Odo and Kira together. I know there's a lot of people who don't like it or they think it's really? weird. Or, really? Yeah. I've it, never seen this. Uh, there, there's some people who, I, 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 I'm not quite sure what people say about it because I don't pay attention all that much. Like I said, I'm not really that big of a shipper. But I know there's some people who think uh, it's kind of awkward and, and they really got forced together just because they wanted Kira to have a relationship or something like that. But I don't think it's well, awkward. I think there's definite chemistry between the two characters and I love them. Well, Beryl died so there really wasn't anyone else um and we well, all know was shakar after shakar. yeah right and, and we all know because i don't really like shakar <laughs> no matter how many times ira bear wanted to make it happen uh kira and gold Ducat was never gonna happen nah, uh, yeah. <laughs> not no not nah. in a million years that was not nah. going to happen nah. um but i agree with you about odo uh, I think that him uh, having a really deep connection with someone was really, really good for him. And you remember in the episode where uh, the crew got stranded on a planet that had time lapsed 200 years into the future. Yes. And when we see Odo, we see Rene Aubergenois with a little less makeup and they make the point that over the time frame, he's learned to be a better shapeshifter. So we see that he's uh, kind of gotten a little bit better with faces and, and being a bit more being a bit less cold uh, uh-huh. as the old constable was. And the way he really poured his heart out to, Norris like that that really really resonated uh just the fact that he had waited so long because kira wasn't there on that planet to tell him to tell kira how he really felt about her that that was really special and when in that episode uh kira gave him like uh, her exact word was maybe and that that was that was a big moment that that really was a big moment. And I think that did a really good job of planting the seed of the two of them getting together. And I think it ended up really well uh, for both of them. It gave Odo a, a connection he didn't have. It gave Kira a connection she didn't have. Uh, It gave her a level of character depth that, the series had tried, but it didn't really quite work. It didn't quite work with Boreal. It didn't quite work with Shakar. But with Odo, it worked. It gave her, I don't want to say humanity because she's Bajoran. Uh, it gave her a, a real, 
emotional depth. And I think those two, uh, and this is what you're supposed to do in a relationship, they helped each other. And they yeah. made each other better. And oh, yeah. I think that's what it's all about. Uh, I'm going to stay with DS9, Heather, uh, with this one. Actually, no, I'm not. Well, because I'm going to say my favorite friendship now. Okay. Uh, and we're going to go to Enterprise. And I- I'm going to talk about my two bros. Uh, of course, I'm talking about Malcolm Reed and Trip Tucker. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> um, these two are the Star Trek Enterprise bromance that I think everybody loves deep down. Um, in many ways, they were polar opposites. Malcolm Reed, very, very stuffy, very stodgy, very English. And Trip Tucker being the, the good old Southern boy from, from Florida. Uh, incompatible in some ways, but somehow they just ended up uh, having this really fun, like-hate friendship with one another. And they both knew that they were they were each other's bro, and they would have each other's back. And they, they did on several occasions, even to the dismay of Captain Archer at times. So uh, for, I think, as far as friendships go, uh, I really enjoyed that one because I think that the two of them had real chemistry together. It seemed like they were really having fun with one another. So for me, it was Malcolm Reed and Trip Tucker. Well, yeah, I, I completely agree with all of that. Uh, Malcolm and Trip definitely brought the the bromance and the uh, entertainment and humor <laughs> to Enterprise. Um and I mean, if you need a full blown out example of that, there's the entire episode Shuttle Pod One <laughs> of them being stuck in the shuttle pod together. Um, that they're just they are entirely opposites, but it it works somehow, and they make a really wonderful friendship. So I'm on board with that. Now heading from Enterprise to Voyager to talk about my favorite friendship in all of Star Trek. And it's Janeway and Tuvok. Okay. I like this one too, but go ahead. Um, I love the friendship between Janeway and Tuvok. I, I think it's important, especially in the situation that Voyager was in, that she has someone that she really had had from the very beginning considered a friend. So she already had a friend and a confidant right there that she could talk to. And Tuvok's kind of the, the balancing force for Janeway. I mean, there's so many different situations and different episodes where Janeway's just kind of freaking out. And Tuvok's the one that like sits her down and be like, okay, stop. (laughs) Think about it. You can figure it out <laughs> while well, Janeway is just all over the place. So it, it's very much a classic friendship, but it, it's also like, uh, with the exception of like Dax and uh, Cisco and DS9, 
those two are probably the first friendships between a male and female character on screen. So it's really important to have friendships like that that don't involve into relationships because men and women can be friends. And it's important to normalize that on a TV show than just think every single man and women on a TV show is going to end up in a relationship because they're not. Men and women can be friends. And so that, that's why I really love Janeway and Tuvok because they're a man and a woman and they're friends and it doesn't really impact their working relationship. And they're honest with each other. And I think they're the two biggest characters on the entire ship that really need that friendship and rely on it a lot. And so that's why it really stands out. I think that in many ways... Janeway and Tuvok are a more evolved version of Kirk and Spock. Uh, yeah, we have a human <laughs> and a Vulcan, or half Vulcan in Spock's case, where while they aren't always on the same page, they still have a very, very strong friendship, and they have the ability to trust one another implicitly. And that's what you know about Captain Janeway and Tuvok almost from the pilot is that Janeway trusts Tuvok implicitly. Uh, that's why she knew that he could be a spy uh, in the Maquis. Uh, uh-huh. she, she trusts him implicitly. And that is really important w- given the situation they were in. Uh, I think Tuvok in many, many ways – uh, was maybe the best example of the character being the voice of reason uh, in Star Trek. Uh, I, I would almost go so far as to say Tuvok is my favorite Vulcan. And I, I think that Captain Janeway sees all the same things that I see in Tuvok. And I hold both of them in very, very high regard. I completely agree. Yep. Uh, now, so... Do you have any other relationships you want to bring up? Because I'm about covered all mine. Really quickly, uh, just because, again, another fun, odd couple uh, from DS9, Lita and Nog. <laughs> oh, y- you mean Rom. Rom, right. Rom, sorry. Lita and Rom. Uh, yeah, I just thought that they were so fun together. Uh, as short as it was, they were just adorable. They were just, it worked. I don't know how or why it worked, but Rom being the sort of bumbling brother to Quark, who eventually becomes an engineer uh, on the station and sees his son grow up and become an officer, uh, while also finding love uh, through Lita, uh, who was never a fully fleshed-out character until much later in the series. But something about those two were just... uh, There was an innocence to them that I just really, really enjoyed. They were just... They were just fun, and I, I rooted for them, and seeing them together made me happy. I, I rooted for them, too. I, I I think they are the example of just, like, the really sweet, innocent couple. And 
amidst like all the drama you typically find when you see relationships on screen, it was really nice to see a little couple like that between Lita and Rom. And they're sweet, and I love them, and I hope they stayed married because <laughs> they're wonderful. <laughs> I, I would totally be okay for some time in Star Trek's current incarnation that uh, we see that they are still together. I, I, I would love to see that. Uh, but that's where we get into new business uh, on this podcast, where we talk about what is happening in the world of Star Trek in the here and now. Uh, and yeah, we're still right in the midst of... Uh, various 20 something weeks of star trek with lower decks and discovery soon to be coming and there's some more news coming from star trek discovery as season three looms uh we got word that two new cast members will be joining discovery for season three uh one of them is blue del barrio who is playing the character gray uh also uh, is blue is yep. adira Blue is playing Adira. Blue is playing Adira. Okay, I'm. Yes. I read that part ahead. Yes, Blue Del Barrio is playing Adira, and Adira, uh, like Blue Del Barrio, is non-binary. Uh, also, it will be Ian Alexander, uh, who was uh, on The Last of Us Part Two and uh, the OA on Netflix, uh, will be playing the role of Gray. And Gray is trans. So this is the first time uh, in Star Trek that we will be seeing a non-binary uh, actor and character, as well as a trans actor and character in a Star Trek series. This is incredible. And I am so excited and so thrilled for both Blue and Ian and to see these new characters because it's, it's amazing. It, it, it's, it's really, 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 really awesome. And I just want to sit there and take the opportunity for every single person out there that's saying, oh, we've had non-binary characters and trans characters in Star Trek before, so these are not the first. These are the first. The, uh, Adira is the first non-binary human character we have had non-binary aliens in Star Trek before, but we have not had a non-binary human. Adira is human, and they are explicitly going to be non-binary on the show. Uh, because from what I've read in the articles that came out with their casting announcement, uh, Adira is a character that lost their memory. And so uh, when they first arrive on Discovery, they're not really sure about their memories or what's going on. But they are certain about the fact that they are non-binary. Like, because they're in a strange place with a bunch of strange people that they don't know, uh, they don't really come out until they form a connection with Stamets and Kolber, which is why it's also huge to have two other queer characters on here. And Adira actually comes out as non-binary to them on the show. This is huge. It is, it is so huge because this is not something that we really get to see on TV at all. And it's even more important 
that Adira is being played by a non-binary actor. Because there has been so many non-binary or trans characters in media before, and they're played by cis actors. So it's important that these people get to tell their own stories. Uh, Blue is non-binary, and actually in the article I read that was uh, on GLAD's website, Blue hadn't come out to their family yet as (laughs) non-binary. So they came out to their family at the same time that they were coming out on screen in their very first major acting role. And I mean, I, I can't tell you how amazing that is. I'm just, oh, I, 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 I'm getting all excited just talking about it. <laughs> so I, I just want everybody out there who keeps pulling up like the TNG episode, The Outcast, or the Enterprise episode uh, with the non-binary character. Like, these the congen- were... Yeah, the cogenitor. Th- these are really horrible <laughs> examples of non-binary characters. Um, the outcast character actually felt like they were female and wanted to live as a female, and they used basically... Um, transition therapy in order to punish her for being female (laughs) and the cogenitor character ultimately killed themselves because they didn't want to live as that third gender gender anymore it's important that uh non-binary and trans people have positive role models on screen and that's what they have really designed these characters to be so it, it is an important step in the Star Trek universe that we see these characters, that we know that they're non-binary and trans, and we know that this is normal and good and that they're accepted. Now uh, all the, the Trekkie police are coming again. <laughs> yeah, that's, huh, there's always some sort of sirens outside my window, but it makes the point here. <laughs> I can run from the sirens all they want. They can come get me all they want. But it's the truth. And I want to stress to all the Trekkies out there. I mean, if you're listening to this podcast, you've probably listened to our Pride Month episode back in June. Um, Talked. If you don't understand what non-binary or trans means, there are a lot of non-binary and trans Trekkies in our Twitter community, if you don't know any of them, talk to other members of the queer community, like myself, uh, like other people that you know, and we can direct you to non-binary and trans... I I will gratefully answer questions, but I'm obviously, I'm not non-binary, and I'm not trans, and I'm not the best person to answer all the questions that people might have. But I want you to feel free... (laughs) to politely ask people questions if you don't understand. Just don't assume that you know what those terms mean or what they mean to the people that they're representing. Feel free to ask and listen to the people when they explain it to you because they will gladly tell you how important the representation like this means to them. They will gladly tell you, but just... Please don't assume. Please feel free to ask questions. And just celebrate 
how awesome the representation and diversity in Discovery is. All right. It's time for the <laughs> cisgendered heterosexual man to chime in. That's right. Uh, this is awesome. This is absolutely awesome. And this is what Star Trek has always been about. Uh, Star Trek has literally since the pilot been about breaking conventions from the cage where Captain Pike said he wasn't used to having a woman on the bridge and the show making a point of that to this today and now. Star Trek has always been about breaking conventions, breaking new ground, and doing things that haven't been done before. And that is important. That's why Star Trek is important. It's way more than spaceships and pew-pews, people. I've said that over and over and over again. Now, Speaking just from my own personal experience, I'm going to go in two directions here. On my old podcast, the anime podcast of some sort, my co-host Jack was is trans. And when I asked Jack to be my co-host, I made a clear concerted effort to have a conversation with him about what uh, about how to be as respectful towards him being trans as I could. And that is extremely important. Uh, speaking as someone who is very cisgendered, very heterosexual, uh, I, I, I'm not in this space at all, but I can at least show a little bit of empathy uh, because something like this goes all the way back to the original series. We all know the stories of Nichelle Nichols as Lieutenant Uhura and the famous story about her meeting Dr. Martin Luther King uh, to stay on Star Trek because it was important to see a black person uh, in this light. And I can obviously see how important it is for someone that is non-binary and someone that is trans to see themselves in a similar light. That is absolutely important. Uh, it was the same thing for me seeing Jordi LaForge and later Benjamin Sisko as a kid. Those things matter. Uh, to use the cliche, representation matters. And Star Trek has always known this. And... If you think that this is new or strange or over the top or they're trying too hard, you really haven't been picking up on what Star Trek has done and continues to do at all. Like You've really missed the point because while this might be breaking new ground for television, it is not breaking new ground for Star Trek and... If this bothers you, you really need to get with the program. Agreed. So, yeah, just another positive for Star Trek Discovery Season 3 coming in October. So get hype for that. Also, another return coming in Star Trek Season 3. Uh, Ken Mitchell, Heather, uh, the man who played the Klingon. Uh, I'm, I'm terrible with this name. Tanovic? 
Tanabek. Uh, there you go. Tanabek, yes. Uh, also, uh, Cole, uh, as well, uh, in season one. Uh, he will be returning to Discovery as a human character. Uh, Heather, I'm going to let you provide a little bit of history on on what has happened with Ken Mitchell and why his return to Discovery is as big as it is. So, yes, um, Ken Mitchell's return to Star Trek Discovery is huge because in March he came out with the fact that he was diagnosed with ALS, uh, which for anyone who doesn't know who ALS is, it's Lou Gehrig's disease. It's a degenerative brain disease, and he's been living and working with this for at least a year before he actually announced it to the public. Uh, so he announced this right before the Star Trek cruise in March. And when this casting announcement was made that he's going to be in season three, uh, it came out that he actually filmed his two episode arc in season three, uh, right before the Star Trek cruise and right before this announcement. So, um, Right when he announced this, he was started to need the use of a wheelchair. Um, so I'm curious to see what type of character he's playing, because if he's playing a disabled character who needs the use of a wheelchair, this is another huge representation in Star Trek. And he might not be. It depends on what type of character they gave him and how he was able to adapt to the role depending on the situation. So he might not be in a wheelchair, but if he is, that would be huge. And just the fact that he is still working while he's dealing with this disease is huge. And we love and support Ken Mitchell to the point that I started a crazy fundraiser <laughs> back in March where I dumped a bunch of noodles on my head in order to raise money for the ALS Association in honor of Ken Mitchell. Uh, this was right before all the pandemic craziness started, uh, but we still raised $1,000, and the fundraiser page is still live for if anyone who wants to go and donate to the ALS ALS Association in honor of Kem Mitchell because he is such an honored and wonderful part of our Star Trek community and I am so excited that we get to see his human side in season three. That sounds terrific. Uh, on a lighter note, let's jump into Lower Decks. Uh, we, we've got two more episodes, episodes four and five, and just real quick, uh, for these two episodes, Moist Vessel and Cupid's Errant Arrow. That one's hard to say. Uh, <laughs> Heather, I gotta say, so far, for me, Lower Decks is batting a thousand. It's five for five. Uh, I would say that I, I said on the last episode, I have enjoyed every episode of Lower Decks more than the last. Uh, I loved episode four. Uh, episode five, Cupid's Errant Arrow, 
Uh, it had a few too many cringe jokes for me. Uh, I'm not the biggest fan of cringe humor, but overall, I still really liked it. I I loved the B plot. That's becoming kind of a recurring theme with me in Lower Jackson that I'm loving the B plot of every episode. Uh, I loved that in in this episode, Cupid's Errant Arrow. We saw a a very Star Trek episode where uh, there was this group of aliens and there was a moon and a disaster happening and they had to figure out a way around the problem uh it was very star trek uh and they 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 lower decked it uh with blowing up the moon after finding out the twist in that story so (laughs) i loved the b plot uh, and Moist Vessel, uh, that one was pretty fun, too. So, for me, Lower Decks is a hit. It's a smash hit. It really is, Heather. You know, it it, it really is. Um, I think I'm enjoying each episode more as we go along. Uh, it It's just... And, and I'm, I am a sucker for, like, Easter eggs and nostalgia. So, every time... They reference something random in the Star Trek universe. I just get all excited. Like, they had so many references in Cupid's Errant Arrow that Mike McMahon actually did, like, a little video talking about all the Easter eggs. Because, I mean, you got to see, like, the old uh, gray uniforms and with that little flashback from her former ship. And they were parked at DS9. And and, uh, there's the line, he's like a... Uh, what what was it? Something like a, a Kirk sandwich with or Kirk Sunday uh, with Trip Tucker trip sprinkles. sprinkles. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's just so many little fun references. Um, I, I I I love it. I love it. Um, I really liked Moist Vessel though. I think that's probably one of the best episodes so far. I loved seeing Mariner kind of like deal with the 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 situation with uh her mom captain freeman and like seeing them work together and then the whole b plot of that with the ascension (laughs) was just ridiculous and so much fun um the koala why is it smiling (laughs) what is it no So I, I I love the fact that <laughs> ascending is actually really painful, and that sounds so horrible to say, but I loved it. And it, yeah, Lower Decks just I, keeps getting better. <laughs> I really got a kick out of a specific moment in Moist Vessel when right after Mariner got promoted to lieutenant, and Captain Freeman called her into her office and said, "Well, all senior officers need to be at." commander ransom's birthday party and she kept talking about how he's gonna be on his acoustic guitar for hours <laughs> and, and you see mariner cringing and and she's talking about he's gonna be telling all of his stories about his time in Barcelona. just like <laughs> oh god like it mariner knew and uh captain freeman knew exactly what she was doing and it was hilarious because uh I kind of got a kick out of seeing Mariner 
kind of get put in her place a little bit. Like seeing yeah. Mariner yeah. that uncomfortable, like getting the promotion, which she didn't want, and then having to do all of these senior officer things that uh, have always been so lauded and heralded in Star Trek, like the, the officer poker game and everything the else. The poker game! And, oh. and how she just couldn't stand any of it, and I really got a kick out of that. Like, uh, Lower Decks is really good at giving gentle jabs to a lot of Star Trek lore and allowing us as Star Trek fans to laugh at ourselves a little bit. And and that's okay. Exactly. It doesn't take itself seriously. And it shouldn't. We, we should be able to sit down and occasionally not take Star Trek seriously and be able to laugh at all the things that we love. And that's what Lower Decks is doing. And and some of that stuff really is kind of silly. And, and it's <laughs> yeah. okay. It's okay. Uh, so we're going to move to upcoming business. Uh, what is to come? And we have one story here where I think I'm going to have uh, a bit of a controversial opinion. Uh, because CBS proper, the television network, is going to start airing Season one of Star Trek Discovery on CBS, uh, starting September 24th at 10 p.m. Uh, Heather, I'm going to let you go first on this one because I might have a bit of a hot take. All right. So if you have been listening to previous episodes of the podcast, I theorize that something like something like this. I don't want to say I was completely right, but I was kind of right. <laughs> I theorize that something like this could happen because with the filming delays from all of the major TV shows due to the COVID-19 pandemic, uh, CBS has nothing to air for at least like two months, something like that. Because uh, most of the shows are just starting to film now, which means their first episode isn't going to be available to air until about the middle of November. So they made the decision to air season one of Star Trek Discovery on CBS. And I think it's a really good decision. Um, it's the only one of their all-access shows that, as of right now, they're going to be airing in order to fill a time slot. Because they have a handful of other shows. Uh, but I think their decision to choose... Discovery um, is because it's the first of their Star Trek shows. Uh, they know it's been a, a success on all access. And because just the name Star Trek brings in viewers. So people who haven't signed up for all access um, yet can't afford to do it, whatever, will have the opportunity to watch Star Trek Discovery on air. Um, it, 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 and I kind of know where your hot take is going. <laughs> okay. So, All right. Um, I, 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 yeah, before you even say it, I'm going to say I don't completely disagree with you, but I understand why they're starting with season one because it's kind of a TV thing. Um, they're, okay. they're they want to start from the very beginning of the show. Do I think season one is going to be the season that hooks the most people? No. There it is. There but it is, it'll hook some. <laughs> I'm going to let you take it over from there because I don't want to 
totally rain on your hot take here. So okay, now while I think that putting Discovery on network television is a great move and a great sign of confidence that they have in Star Trek going forward, yeah, I think that quite frankly, putting season one out there was the wrong call. Um. I think it's not really a secret. Season one of Star Trek Discovery was very polarizing. And I think that if they wanted to uh, maybe not put their best foot forward, but possibly their most accessible foot forward, uh, it probably should have been season two. Um, I like Star Trek Discovery season one. I like season two as well. Uh, but... Season one is extremely polarizing, and I'm just kind of not ready to go through all of that again. And I don't like the thought of having to deal with all of the hullabaloo over season one of Star Trek Discovery again. Because I, I just think that it's... It's a lot of talk over nothing, but people are going to blow a lot of hot air over it. And I think that this could have been avoided if they aired season two instead. Also, because season three is coming up, uh, I feel like that would have been a good jumping off point for people to see what is going to happen uh, at the end of season two. Uh, they jump into the future. The Discovery jumps into the future. And that's where Season 3 is going to begin. Uh, I do think that would have been a, a solid starting point as well. So my belief that CBS airing Season 1 of Discovery not being the right call is multifaceted. Uh, I think that they should have gone with Season 2 just to avoid all of the BS that came with Star Trek Discovery Season 1 the first time around, uh, whether it was people not liking the pilot or, or the, the Terran universe or how they got there. I think that they should have gone with Season 2 instead. I, I think that it's cool, but I don't think they made the right call. I... I, I understand where you're coming from, but like I said, I, I also understand where they're coming from because from, uh, like I said, just from a television marketing point of view to skip an entire season and just go, Hey, here's season two. It, like they don't think like that. <laughs> it, it, they, they think people are going to be confused and not know these characters already and not know what's going on. And then there, there would have been some people who would feel that way. Um, I, I agree that there's going to be a whole bunch of drama from a whole bunch of people who haven't actually seen the show yet and are now watching it because it's free on CBS. Uh, but I also think to take a positive spin on this, that airing season one of Star Trek Discovery can bring in people who are not necessarily Star Trek fans in the first place. Especially since if you look, if you look at CBS's fall lineup as it stands on September the 24th, when they go back to their fall programming... Star Trek Discovery is literally the only scripted show 
<laughs> oh, <laughs> and there's really? five nights of TV. <laughs> there's like uh, no sitcoms. Hours, no sitcoms. Mystery. Uh, the amazing or uh, Big Brother. There's no sitcoms. <laughs> there's reality TV, and there's newscasts or uh, true crime shows. There's no scripted written TV in that lineup. So people are going to be looking for new things to watch. And it's not necessarily going to be the Star Trek dynamic. It's going to be people who just want something different to watch, who maybe have never watched any Star Trek before, and they're going to tune into Star Trek Discovery. So that's the positive side, is that I think this move can bring in new fans to the franchise. It might still piss off some of the old fans who didn't want to pay for it, haven't watched it. Now they're going to watch it and they're going to hate it. It's going to piss off some of those people, but it's going to bring in new people, too. I think that's an excellent point. Uh, I think that Star Trek Discovery, especially the pilot and especially the first few episodes where we saw Michael Burnham progress to getting a job on Discovery, are a really good primer for the non-sci-fi or, or rather the non-trekkie uh, yeah. because in many ways it is a standalone story and i think that's where it works uh, i think maybe a lot of diehard star trek fans kind of missed that this is a quality standalone story uh, within the star trek universe and that's not a bad thing uh, i never saw that this being a standalone story as a bad thing and it'll be a good way to bring in new people i agree and i think that's that's a great point that that that's an excellent point and i hope it works out i really do i think that uh people know who michelle yo is uh people know who sneaker martin green is at this point and i think that they will be good enough to draw people in, uh, enough people. I think that there will be a lot of people that at least know the Star Trek name and the Star Trek brand. Uh, Trekkies out there, uh, get ready to get questions from your non-Trekkie friends about Discovery in the next couple of weeks. And, yeah, if people are interested, people are interested. That's awesome. Um, I'm just hoping that there are more of them than there are of the the haters. That, that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully. Hopefully. And hopefully you enjoyed this episode of the Promenade Merchants podcast. I think this might be our longest episode to date, but we had a lot. There's a lot of Star Trek going on, everybody. There's a oh, lot of Star Trek. Oh, we're not quite done yet. Oh, wait, we're not? We're not? We're not? Oh. So by miss? the time this episode drops, we will be celebrating Star Trek Day. Yes, you're right. Oh my goodness, yes. There, there's going to be a whole day of panels for Star Trek for spanning the entire franchise. And this looks really cool, Heather. It does look really cool. And as much as I know you and me talked about this and we didn't want to get too excited or do any predictions or anything uh, after we got so excited over San Diego Comic-Con and nothing came out of it. 
But the idea that they're having panels for basically every single show, uh, just community building, uh, the not only the cast, but the uh, producers behind the new shows will be t- on these panels. Um, it, it It's going to be a really fun day. And so it is September the 8th, which, like I said, will be right around the time this podcast drops. So I hope everybody checks out these panels. Um, just tune in to your, your favorite panel, your favorite show, uh, whatever you want to see these actors and actresses that you love and some of them which haven't been involved in a lot of star trek things in a long long time because scott say bacula his, say his name we got scott bacula That's we right. got scott bacula scott bacula is gonna be on the enterprise panel like we should celebrate that <laughs> okay <laughs> We so really, that's why really I just wanted to make sure we mentioned it. Um, and if any news does comes out come out of these panels and the celebration on Star Trek Day, we will talk about it on the next episode since we already covered so much on this one. But I wanted to make sure everybody listening knew about it and checked in with it because it's going to be a fun time. It really will. This is there. It is. We just passed an hour. There it is. <laughs> Uh, officially our longest episode of Promenade Merchants to date. Uh, like I said at the top, there's a lot of Star Trek happening right now, and we're here for it, and we're going to talk about it. You can follow us on Twitter at PromTrekPod. That's P-R-O-M-TrekPod. Listen to the Promenade Merchants podcast wherever you get your podcasts. That's Apple Podcasts. That's Spotify. That's Google Podcasts. That's changing into something else soon. And that is wherever podcasts are aggregated because we have an RSS feed that is accessible anywhere and everywhere. And, of course, at DeltaJulietMike.com. Heather, thank you so much. Everybody follow Heather at NerdyGal33. I'm at CallMeDJM. Thank you for listening. Walk with the prophets, my children, and live long, wait for it, and prosper. And prosper. <laughs>